Morning, everyone. Great to be here again. I hope you're thinking the same thing. I hope you're thinking it's great for me to be here again as well, and you're not thinking, oh, no, it's not him again, is it? But it is. It's a blessing for me. It really is. Um, I, I love just being able to share, but I love being able to share because genuinely I learn something new every week. When I read what it is that I'm going to talk about, God blesses me. And so whether I stand up and, and he blesses you in return, I hope he does, but he blesses me every week. And I, and I just hope that that's the same for you. So I want to, as Paul read earlier, I'm carrying on in John. Oh, thanks, Jimbo. I'm carrying on in um, John chapter 4, where we left off last week. I'm picking up at verse 43, and we're reading through to 54. So if you've got your Bibles, get them out, follow along in your Bibles, make notes, feel free. It's your Bible, you can do what you want with it. Otherwise, I think, yep, yeah, the words will be on the... I see the Sheldon and Jill are before me. Every time I say something, they've already done it. Um, it's up on the screen. So this is what it says. I'm going to remind you of what Paul spoke to us earlier as well. It says, After the two days he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honour in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they had also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, you may go, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. And when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea. Amen. So where's my two little fellas? My two little fellas are at the back there, Jimmy and Martin, yeah? I'm going to have some stuff on the screen again for you so you can listen to me, but there'll be little stuff on the screen so you can follow along and look in your Bibles as well at what verses we're talking about. Okay, good. I'm going to ask you a question. Who's cried out to God in an emergency? Hands going up. I didn't even ask for hands, but hands were going. That's like this. I like this. Audience participation. I love it. Right. Who's cried out to God in an emergency? All of us, pretty much, or most of us. Maybe you're a, you know, a loved one was facing a serious health problem. Yeah, Roseanne, me too. I've prayed about that. I've prayed about that. Or maybe um, you cried out to God and you promised if you did, if he did what you were asking him to do, you'd follow him. Do this, Lord, and I'll follow you. Maybe it was a financial crisis. You had no money. 
and you needed his help. Maybe you didn't have a job and you needed a job, you needed work so you could afford to live. Perhaps you were lonely and you were praying for a companion. We do it all the time, don't we? We cry out to God in an hour of need. And the purpose of what I'm looking at today and those verses that we read read today from John 4, they tell us that Jesus doesn't want us to seek him merely for deliverance, merely to sort out our problems and then put him back on the shelf until we need him again. You know, like the genie in the lamp, like Aladdin, where you rub the lamp and the genie pops out and you say, can you sort this out, genie, give me my wish? And then you put the lamp away until next time you need another wish. It's not what Jesus wants. Rather, he wants us to go deeper into our relationship with him, deeper into faith and trust and follow him because of who he is rather than what It's not all about what he can do for us. Although he will meet us when we're in crisis, he will meet us at our time of need. And this is the main point of what these verses look at, where Jesus heals the son of a royal official who is near death. Jesus wants us, just as he did with this royal official, he wants us to move from that kind of forced faith, the faith that says, Jesus, I need you to do this for me and I'll I'll follow you, that kind of forced faith to a mature or a saving faith. Yes, Jesus meets us at our point of need, but it's just the beginning. He wants us to believe in him and follow him. Not just because he delivers us from our crisis, but because he's our saviour and he's our Lord. And he is worthy of our trust simply because of who he is. So the first few verses that we read, verses 43 to 45 really, they kind of form the background to the story. And I want you to remember back to what we've looked at over the last couple of weeks. Where was, where's Jesus just been? He's been in Samaria, hasn't he? He's been talking to that woman at the well. And he's been in that village for two days. And many in that village came to believe in him as Lord. So he's had two days of fruitful work or ministry in this Samaritan village. And then he heads north into Galilee. And there's a weird verse in here. Verse 44. It talks about, in verse 43, he goes back to Galilee. And then it says, For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honour in his own country. And it just seems weird that that verse is in there to me. He'd gone to his own people. These are Jesus' own people in Galilee. And he's not under any delusion. Yes, he'll be welcomed, but he's going fully expected to be rejected. The rejection by his own people doesn't take him by surprise. He knew it was going to happen. And John, in writing his gospel, wants us to understand Jesus went to Galilee because he was following God's will. 
He was doing the will of God the Father. And in spite of knowing, so in verse 44 it tells us a prophet not being honoured in his own country, in spite of knowing that he's not honoured in his own country, he went. But then you don't expect what comes next in verse 45. So you hear in verse 44 that a prophet's not honoured in his own country. And then in verse 45 you hear, he was welcomed. It says, so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they themselves also went to the feast. Why does he say that? Why does John tell us that? Why does John tell us that Jesus, or a prophet, is not honoured in his own country? And then immediately he says, Jesus goes to Galilee and they welcome him. They receive him. Well, there's a couple of clues, I think. And the first clue is the bit where it says, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast. Now, we have to go a long way back here because it's a long time since we did this. But back in John chapter 2, Jesus did that miracle. Do you remember? Water into wine, yeah, at the wedding. In Cana, in Galilee, many of the Jews were at the feast. Many of these people that we're talking about now, who Jesus is with, were at that feast. And it says that they were believing in Jesus because they saw the signs. Because they saw his miracles that he did. But Jesus isn't fully entrusting himself to them because their faith is shallow. The faith at this point in time is shallow. And after that story of Jesus at the wedding turning water into wine, who comes after that? It's Nicodemus, isn't it? Do you remember the story of Nicodemus? He was impressed, wasn't he, by Jesus with all the miracles and with all the signs. But Nicodemus didn't understand that he needed new birth through faith in Jesus as his sin bearer. Nicodemus didn't get it. You had the, the Galileans impressed by the miracles at the wedding. You've got Nicodemus being impressed by the miracles and the signs, but not understanding who Jesus was. And then there's another clue in these verses about why Jesus is, uh, John talks about this. In verse 48, it says, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The you, when, when it says you in this, it's plural. So he's not just talking. Jesus isn't just talking to the royal official. He's talking to you, the Galileans as a whole, a group of people. He's saying, unless you people see these signs and wonders, you won't believe me. He's not just rebuking the man, but he's rebuking that group of people. He was rebuking the Jewish people for their superficial reasons for seeking him. They sought him for the miracles that he did, for the stuff that he put right but they didn't understand that they needed to seek him because he was the Messiah, because he was their Lord. So in verse 45, it's almost like John's using a little bit of irony. He's saying that the Galileans' reception of Jesus was superficial. 
That's his point. Neither the Galileans nor the royal official recognize and honor Jesus as the savior of the world. They see him as a miracle worker, a guy who fixes stuff for them. I want you to compare that with what we read last week. Jesus has just spent two days in that Samaritan village. The Samaritans believed in Jesus without any signs, really. The only sign they had was what he said to that woman at the well. Didn't convert anything, no water into wine. No amazing raising people from the dead. And yet that village, many of them believed in him as Lord and Saviour. They believed in him because of his word. The Galileans sought him because of his signs. John wants us to go beyond that shallow faith. The faith which receives Christ just because of a miracle. He wants the signs. So miracles are fine. And they're a real blessing. But the Lord wants us to move on from that into deeper relationship with him. Not just turning to him every time we need a miracle performing. Remember the point, and Nigel has said it so many times when he stood up here and talked about John's gospel. Remember the point of John's gospel. He says it right at the very end. It says, he is the Christ, the son of God, so that we might have eternal life in his name. That's the reason John wrote his gospel. So that we will understand that. That he is the Christ, the son of God, so that we might have eternal life in his name. So that's the background that brings us to this story of this royal official. The royal official comes to Jesus with this Galilean, Galilean faith. He's looking for a miraculous sign. He's looking for Jesus to perform a miracle. But by the end of it, he goes deeper. By the end of it, he goes deeper. Note the emphasis on life as well. I thought this was really interesting. How many times it says life. In verse 50, Jesus tells the man, go, your son lives. In verse 51, as the man was returning home, the slaves meet him and say, saying that his son was living. In verse 53, the father came to know that his son had been healed in the same hour when Jesus had said to him, your son lives. So much emphasis on life and living as a result of this it says both he and his household believed a real illustration a real illustration of that verse at the end of John that tells us these things or these signs have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God and that believing you may have life in his name these things have been written so that you understand that. So that you can have life in his name. The fact of the matter is, often we don't cry out to Jesus until we're desperate, do we? When we've reached that tipping point. When we've reached that desperate point. And John notes that Jesus came to Cana of Galilee, where he'd done his first miracle of turning water into wine at the wedding feast. 
And he finishes this section, so verse 54, he finishes this section by linking the two together. He links back to that first miracle. And there's loads of comparisons between the two miracles. But the most significant comparison is that at the result of the first sign, so at the result of the first miracle, the turning water into wine, the disciples believed in Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 11, it says, at the result of that miracle, the disciples believed in Jesus. And then in verse 53, the second sign, the royal official and his household did what? Believed in Jesus. So the first miracle, the disciples believed in Jesus. The next sign, the royal official and his household believed in Jesus. Again, I'm going to use that verse at the end of John. Why was it written? So that you will believe in Jesus. These things are written so that you will believe in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, and have life in his name. There's a big contrast between the two stories as well, isn't there, if you think about it? The first is a scene of joy. So the wedding in chapter 2 is a scene of joy and happiness and celebration. But this scene with the royal official is a scene of sickness, desperation, anxiety, the shadow of death. And by comparing the two stories, by putting them side by side, we can see that life is filled with both kinds of situations. Joyful ones, desperate ones. But the one consistency in both is Jesus. Joyful or desperate times, the consistency is Jesus. We don't know whether this royal official was a Jew or a Gentile. Doesn't tell us. But it's likely they had a post in Herod's court. This fella had probably heard of Jesus' first miracle in Cana. And also of the miracles that he'd done in Jerusalem at the feast. But he probably would never have come to Jesus but for this personal crisis. His son was sick and at the point of death. So in desperation, this man makes the approximately 15 to 20 miles the walk would have been. At the point of desperation, he makes the walk from the north shore of the Sea of Galilee up to Cana to seek Jesus out. And the words used indicate, so when he speaks to Jesus, the words that are used indicate that he's repeatedly imploring Jesus. So it's not just he meets Jesus and goes, can you come and sort my son out? It's, he's begging. He's repeatedly imploring Jesus to come and heal his son. Anyone who's a parent who's had a very, very sick child will know how this fella's feeling. Know the anxiety that the father was feeling. God often uses the crisis points in our life to get us to seek him in ways that we wouldn't have done had the crisis not occurred. 
We should follow this man's example. We should seek Jesus in our crises. We should seek the Lord when trouble strikes. But it's not the only time we should seek him. Excuse me. That was a crisis. Should have, should have sought the Lord earlier, shouldn't I? It's likely that this fella was fairly well off. But even though he was a royal official, even though it's likely he was well off, his money and his position could not save the life of his son. All of us, whether we're rich or poor, no matter what our standing is in society, will eventually face afflictions and death. Being young doesn't guarantee longevity of life. Doesn't mean that you've got loads more years left. The young boy, this young boy was dying. This story shows our helplessness without God. The time, actually families, the time to seek Jesus and the time to start telling people about Jesus is now. It's not later, it's not tomorrow, it's not in a month's time, it's now. Nobody knows how many days, months, years they've got left on this earth. This young boy was dying. He was young and he was dying. Jesus' reply to this cry for help I mean, it does when it at first view looks, like, looks harsh. So in verse 48, he, he's, he's almost like he's frustrated. He says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. But Jesus knows the man's heart, don't forget. Jesus knows the man's heart. He knows that this man is not seeking him because he wants to worship him. This man doesn't want to follow Jesus at this point in time. He just wants Jesus to fix his problem. He wasn't coming as a sinner seeking forgiveness. He was coming and needed immediate help. And don't of forced faith the faith that says I need help now I'm in a crisis will you help me if you do I'll follow you to save in faith there's another lesson in there for us isn't there it says in scripture that Jesus rebukes us the Lord
at this point, the man's faith is quite limited. And when I say that, what I mean is, what's the question that he asks? He, says, he tells Jesus to come, doesn't he? He says, come. Come, because my son's dying. You see, the fella thinks, this royal official thinks, Jesus needs to come. He needs to make the journey to Capernaum to heal his son. that even if his son died, Jesus could raise him from the dead. Or we don't find that out. His faith was sincere. He believed that Jesus could come to Capernaum and heal his son. That's sincere faith. But it's still limited. It's still limited because it, it depends on Jesus making the journey to Capernaum and being with his son in order to save him. I want you to notice as well, he doesn't try to convince Jesus to come because of his status. He doesn't try and say, look, I'm a royal official. I'm a man of means. He doesn't use that to try and persuade Jesus. And actually, when Jesus rebukes him, he doesn't take offence. He just desperately cries out. Verse 49, he desperately cries out, Sir, come down before my child dies. Have a fixed thought in about how the Lord needs to act in order to do something for someone else. That's Doubts the word of Jesus. And don't forget, up until this point in time, he's put all his hopes in Jesus. He's put all his hope that Jesus is going to come to Capernaum and heal his son. 
Jesus has now put him in a place where he either has to doubt what Jesus has said or believe what Jesus has said. Jesus quite skillfully draws this man into a deeper level of faith. Faith in his word. Faith in his promise. Here the man has nothing but Jesus' word to go on. And then in verse 50, John tells us, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. The man believed. He's only got Jesus' word to go on. Go, your son lives. The man believed. I think we should pay attention as well to the fact that Jesus has answered the man's desire. Jesus has, has done, has answered the man's desire, but he hasn't answered his request. So the request was, come to Capernaum and heal me, heal me son. But really his desire was that just that his son was healed. He requests Jesus, come, come, you've got to come to Capernaum and heal, me, heal my son. But his desire was just that his son was healed. That's it. Jesus answers his desire but not his request. You see, now this man has to put aside his expectations of how Jesus works. He has to put them aside. He has to take Jesus at his word. And what's revealed is that in this instance, Jesus' word is as good as his presence. And I'm going to say that applies. That applies wider than just this context. Jesus' word is as good as his presence. If he speaks it, it's so. He spoke things into creation by his word. He wasn't there in a workshop, physically, present, doing it. He spoke it. He said it, and it was so. So this royal official believes Jesus' word that his son was healed and demonstrates faith because sets off home. Sets off home having believed it. And this moves him on again. So we're getting into the, the last few verses now, 51 to 54. And really this is about saving faith. When we come to understand who Jesus is and we trust him, apart from the fact that he just solves our crisis. We trust him for who he is. It's likely that this official probably had to spend the night somewhere on his way home. And it says the following day on his way home, his slaves met with him and they had the wonderful news that his son was living. The man was no doubt overjoyed. But he's still got a question. The man wants to make sure that it's not just a coincidence. So he asks them, at what hour did he begin to get better? And they replied, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Interestingly, actually, here the word left here, so when it says the fever left him, it's exactly the same word used. Do you remember when the Samaritan woman left her water pot? 
She did it instantly and off she went. It's exactly the same word used for this left. The fever left him. So the fever left this boy as quickly as the Samaritan woman left her water pot and went to tell people about Jesus. It wasn't just a slow, natural recovery. It wasn't just the kind of start of the improvement. The fever left instantly. The man knew it was the same hour when Jesus had spoken those words, your son lives. And as a result, this man and his entire household believed in Jesus. Notice at this point now, this man has entered into a deeper faith in who Christ is. A deeper faith in the person of Jesus. His faith has grown. I mean, we've, I mean, let's be honest, we only look at 11 or 12 verses. And yes, the time period might be a bit longer than it takes us to read 11 or 12 verses. But in 11 or 12 verses, this man's faith has grown from that initial forced faith where he's needed help in a crisis to the stronger faith of taking Jesus at his word and then to that mature faith in trusting in who Jesus is, the Son of God. He and his family, it says, he and his household recognize that Jesus is no ordinary prophet. They now recognize that Jesus is the one who can speak the word and heal at a distance. They now recognize who he is, God in human flesh. How often, I've got another question for you, how often do we expect God to answer in our way? Or even in our time? In the way we think it should happen and when we think it should happen? And when he doesn't answer in our way or in our time, how often do those thoughts of doubt creep into our mind about how much he cares? Does he really care? Does he really love? His word tells us that he works all things together for our good. For the good of those that love him. And actually what that means is, even if you don't see the answer in your own lifetime, as hard as that may be, because we want answers now, don't we? All things work together for those who go, the good of those who love him. I want to finish with just a couple of things from these verses. Firstly, again, I had no idea what Paul was going to say earlier, but if you've believed in Jesus, then you need to beg, implore, Ask him for the salvation of your entire household. The people that you love. Throughout the book of Acts, as here, there is a sequence of entire households coming to save in faith. It might not happen instantly with your family as in these cases. 
But if Jesus has drawn you to that place, he's done wonders in saving you, then pray for others. Pray for those closest to you. Pray for your family. Pray for your loved ones. Pray for your friends. Live your life. And by the way, I'm, I'm not speaking just to you. I'm speaking to me as much as anyone else. Live your life because it's been transformed and live it in that way. Let other people see the love of Jesus in you. That he would reveal themselves, himself to them. That others would see in you Jesus and be drawn to him. And the second thing, if you've never believed in Jesus as your Lord, as your Saviour, then the Bible tells us you're under a sentence of death. Oh, that's not a nice thing to hear on a Sunday morning, but it is, it's true. And what that means is eternal, eternal separation from God. But just as Jesus instantly granted life to this dying boy, just as his word said, go, your son lives. So that same instant change from death to life can apply today to anyone who doesn't believe in Jesus at this point in time. You've just got to ask. It just call on his name. We can't do anything to save ourselves. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. But Jesus can and will save those who seek him. Those who cry out in faith to him. Remember John's gospel was written for this very point. This very purpose. I know we've only looked at 12 verses or so of it today. It was written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Amen. Father, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for its truth. Lord, as, my, as we prayed earlier, I just ask that, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, you would, you would have spoken to us today. Lord, that we wouldn't be the same. That we'd be changed in some small way to be more like the people you want us to be because of the fact we've heard from your word again this morning. Lord, help us to live your word. Help us throughout the course of the week to put those things that we've heard from you into practice. And help us to put aside the things of our flesh, of our own nature. Help us to do the things that you would have us do. Lord Jesus, that you would be glorified in our lives, that other people would see the change in us and be drawn to you, that you would save them. Father, bless us this week. Take care of us and bring us back when we meet again next time. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.